Good morning. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here this morning as we come together as God's people and praise his name together and fellowship with one another. Please stand and join us as we begin our worship today by singing his praises together.
to you alone belongs the highest praise and that's why we have come to worship today and we ask that you will you will hear our songs of praise and and our words of praise as pleasing in your sight and we pray that you will speak into our souls that we will leave here more connected to you and to one another through the grace of Christ so be glorified in our worship And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Just let me mention uh, a few things in the bulletin. Uh, tonight, small groups uh, start up again, and you see a list of those in the, this uh, brightly colored pink insert in your bulletin. I uh, encourage you to be a part of a group if you're not already, and uh, you can see the information there about that. There is uh, one or two groups that begin next week, and some of the groups are tonight. Some are Monday, Tuesday, different nights of the week. And you also see Lagos Bible study groups that are specifically geared to college students. They meet in the homes of community members, and you see information about those as well. Wednesday evening, ministries are all on regular schedule. Next Sunday, 829, 40, 11 o'clock worship. And we're looking at another one of the, of the bullet points of our vision statement. Uh, after last week's sermon, I had a few questions from people about things. We had, a, we had an interesting, good dialogue about that. And it's, it sort of triggered in our minds uh, that it would be nice if there were a way for us to sort of have a little question and answer time as things may come to your mind related to the sermon or the worship service. And so tomorrow I'm going to, uh, to start a, uh, a thread on our website Quite honestly, I don't know how to do that, but I'll find someone who does. We'll figure it out. Uh, but I know it can be done. So we'll, we'll figure that out and just have an opportunity to dialogue a bit about perhaps today's sermon, last week's sermon. So if you have some questions 
that you, uh, that you would like to, to send to me to get some discussion started, you can email those to me uh, here at the church, and uh, we'll put those on and, and get going as we think about just more ways to engage. I'm convinced that the more we talk about these things, the more real they become to us. And the more real they become to us, the more we think about them, the more likely we are to live, out, live them out, and which is our ultimate goal, that we would be transformed through the Spirit as God works in our lives. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin as well. Uh, there's a, a funeral this afternoon for Elizabeth Ortlip, longtime member of the community, and that'll be at 2 o'clock here at the church this afternoon. We want to pray for that family as well as other families in our, in our community, surrounding communities, and uh, the world as we think about situations that are arising in different places, and we ask for God's grace in each of them. This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Another time, Jesus was out walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, teaching the gathering crowd as he went. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the booth where he collected, collected taxes. Jesus calling out to him, Follow me. Levi left the booth and went along with him. At Levi's house, many tax collectors and other sinners, Jews who did not keep the strict purity laws of the Jewish holy texts, were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus had attracted such a large following that all kinds of people surrounded him. When the Pharisee scribes saw who shared the table with Jesus, they were quick to criticize. Scribes to his disciples, If your master is such a righteous person, then why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, the worst among us. Jesus heard them. Jesus to the scribes. People who have their health don't need to see a doctor. Only those who are sick do. I'm not here to call those already in good standing with God. I'm here to call sinners to turn back to him. The word of the Lord. At this time, the offering is going to be passed around. No beginning and no 
lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. take a few moments to pray together and if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you come and pray, please join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Heavenly Father, we are here today because we believe with all of our heart that you are stronger and greater. You are the almighty God, the ruler of all, the creator of all, and in whose hands all things rest. We come today because you, not only do we declare you to be the sovereign Lord of all, but you are good and merciful and gracious, and compassionate, and loving, and kind. And you pour out your grace upon each of us through Christ. Father, knowing who you are, knowing our struggles and who we are, we take this moment of silence to confess to you our sins, to pour out before you the burdens of our hearts. And we know that you hear us.
Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. And thank you for your presence in our lives and in this world. As we pray for your healing grace on those who are struggling with illness of body, mind, or spirit. For your comforting grace on all who are grieving. For your restoring grace on all relationships that are broken. For your mercy in our lives that goes far, far beyond anything we could ever deserve. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers for the world. world of pain and famine and drought and war and violence, greed. We pray for your healing power upon our world. Help the world to know that you care for people who the world treats as least. That you are at work in places where it feels as though all has been abandoned. That you are bringing to bear upon the world your peace and your grace where we need it most. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them to you in the name and the power of Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, I'm frail, I'm so very weak, my faithfulness fails, my courage will flee, but you are my rock, my shelter and shade, when I'm burdened down, you'll carry the
upon you because we know you hear us. We pray that as we continue in worship, you would let your word speak deeply into our hearts, our souls, and change us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. scene didn't make any sense. He was lying there on the road, bleeding, the hit-and-run driver gone. And all he kept saying was, don't take me to the hospital, please. Don't take me to the hospital, please. A crowd gathered around this man and said, look, we, we need to get you some help. And he said, no, no, don't take me to the hospital. Why? Because I work at the hospital. And I don't want them to see me like this. They've never seen me other than all my clothes nicely pressed and clean. And this would be bad. I'd look terrible. So that doesn't matter. You need help. And he said, besides, I'm so embarrassed. I just got through taking a public safety course. And now look what's happening. The instructor is going to be so disappointed that this happened to me. It, it, it's all my fault. Just, just don't take me to the hospital. And they kept insisting, but you need to go to the hospital. You're in bad shape. He said, look, the, the worst thing is that the admissions clerk at the hospital always has to have details. 
And I don't have any details. I don't know what time I was hit. I don't know the make and model of the car. I didn't get a license number. I don't know anything about what happened. And besides that, I don't have my insurance card. And you know how they are when you don't have your insurance card. Just, just, let, me be, just let me be. I'll be fine. If I can just get to the gutter, then I'll be all right. And the crowd watched him crawl to the gutter. Maybe he made it, maybe he didn't. What a ridiculous story. Well, what a crazy scene that we are certain would never happen. And yet, in some way or another, it happens every Sunday in most typical churches. And as Fred Smith tells this, this parable, he says, I know it happens in churches because last night I was talking with a group of committed Christians and I asked them if on a Saturday night you were, you were hit and run over by some unacceptable sin, would you go to church the next day? And to a person they said, no. I'd be too embarrassed to show myself in church after that. Something is wrong with this picture. And yet, let's be honest, there is something in the back of our minds that believes the church is for people who have it all together. The church is for people who are not lying on the road, bleeding and messy, and people you have to deal with in that way. The church is for people who are clean and neat. The church is for people who have figured out life. The church is for people that we call good. Somewhere in the recesses of our mind, that's the image we have of what the church is. And yet when we read the scriptures, that's not what we find. What we read in the scriptures is a completely different picture. In this passage we read this morning from Mark's gospel, and this is a story that's repeated in Matthew and in Luke. In this story, Jesus is beginning to gather around himself his disciples. It's very early, in the early days of his ministry. And he has a few of them already, and people are starting to follow him. And he comes across this tax collector named Levi. He's also called Matthew. And the tax collectors are some of the most despised people in first century Palestine. I mean, we're all a little bit antsy about about the IRS to begin with, right? I mean, nobody wants to get a call from the IRS. Most of, probably there aren't a lot of people who have best friends in the IRS. My dad had one of his best friends in college who became uh, became a, a guy who worked for the IRS. And the only good thing I saw about that was that he did my dad's taxes, which meant we were probably okay. You know, we probably weren't going to get audited by the IRS by a guy who did taxes from the IRS, But most of us want to shy away from that a zillion times more in the New Testament. Because these guys were not like the IRS now. These guys actually had a lot of autonomy as to what they would charge for taxes. And they could charge as much as they wanted and had the the ability to, to squeeze people. And they pocketed all the extra money. They were despised. And beyond that, because of their reputation, they didn't really spend a whole lot of time in the temple. They didn't care a whole lot about the worship life of of the Jewish people. And Jesus stops at this guy's stand and says, come follow me. 
And that night, to add insult to injury, Jesus actually goes to his home and eats a meal with him. And of course, in that culture, if you're eating a meal with someone, you're basically saying, I would love for this person to be my friend. I want a close, intimate relationship with them. That's why we're sharing a meal. And it's not just this tax collector, but it's a whole group of people that are identified in the scriptures as sinners. Now, you think in your mind about all the things, the sins that people commit that might put them on the outs with the church, let your mind run wild, that's these people. If you can imagine it, these people are doing it. And the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, they see what's happening and they pull some of Jesus' disciples aside and say, "Um, I thought your teacher was going to be kind of a leader in Israel. What is he doing hanging out with these people? And Jesus overhears the conversation and he says to them, look, it's the people who are sick who need a doctor. And I have come for people who acknowledge and recognize that they're sick. Not for the people who think they don't need any help. And right there, in my opinion, is the is the idea, one of the core ideas of what it means to be the church and how we understand the church. That the church is to be a group of people who recognize that we are broken. And we have come to Christ to be fixed. And that's why as we're talking about the vision statement, the purpose statement of who we are as a church and what we want God to make us as a church and the vision that we have for us, in the middle of this vision statement, we have stated, empowered by God's Spirit, we will acknowledge our personal and corporate brokenness. We want to be a church that acknowledges our personal and corporate brokenness. Because I'm convinced only when we acknowledge that we're broken are we at a point where Christ can do something to fix us. The problem is when we are unwilling to admit that we're broken. Because in the story, the people in the story that that Mark tells, the people who are unwilling to admit they're broken are the Pharisees. And as the story continues all the way to its end, those are the people who end up being responsible for crucifying Jesus. So the alternative to admitting our personal and corporate brokenness at some point is going to move us to a pretty bad place. And yet that's the struggle that we all have. This idea of spiritual pride or in, in, you know, in, In the terms of advertising, it's protecting our brand. And too often, that's the image that the church portrays. We're trying to protect our brand. We're trying to protect our image. And we will do anything to make sure that we maintain our image. Because image is everything. And our goal is is not to be honest. Our goal is not transparency. Our goal is not to admit brokenness. Our goal is to protect the image. And for far too long, that has been the strategy of the church. We've got to protect our image. And so when something arises, we shove it under the rug. We don't want people to know that about us. We don't want people to realize that we aren't perfect. 
that we have struggles, that we are broken, that we wrestle with stuff. And so we keep shoving it under the rug, pushing it back, getting defensive. And then we wonder, why do people think we're arrogant and prideful and really don't want to have much to do with the church? It's difficult. It goes against the grain of who we are. We want to protect ourselves. But we are never more like Jesus than when we embrace weakness. Paul says to the church of Philippi, Jesus, here's the mind of Jesus. Jesus was God. Very, he was in very nature God. But he humbled himself. And refused to grasp that nature as God, but he became human and he emptied himself. And he took on the nature of a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And Paul says, have the same mind that was in Christ. The same mind that's in him is what I want for my people, the church. That spirit of embracing weakness. Because when we embrace weakness, all we're really doing is being honest. Because let's be truthful, we're all weak. We struggle, we're broken, we're hurting. And the one place we ought to be able to come to acknowledge that is the church. And too often it's not. Because it means we have to be vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, you can get hurt. In fact, when you're vulnerable, you probably will get hurt. That's the way it works. And we do everything in our power to try to avoid that. And yet Christ keeps calling us to be that. There was a commercial back in the, I think it was probably the 80s, maybe early 90s. I think it was for dry idea deodorant. And the, the, the tagline was, don't ever let them see you sweat. Now, on one hand, that's a good thing. Who wants to see other people sweat, right? Yikes. But the implication of that was, if people don't see you sweat, then you give the impression that you aren't worried about anything, no pressure, no stress, no problems, everything's fine. Underlying that idea of that commercial is, I'm okay, everything's fine. And in one of the commercials, there was a football coach that said something to the effect of, Everybody feels pressure. Winners don't let other people see it. And that may be a good idea for a deodorant commercial, but it's not the church. That's not what the church is to be, but too often we are. And that's why of all the various metaphors that, that we talk about for the church, one of my favorites is to see the church as a hospital. It's a place where, where people come because they have needs. We're hurt, we're broken, we're struggling. And that's where you go when that happens. And in a hospital, you have people at all various stages of pain and difficulty. You have people in the emergency room, some kind of trauma has hit them. And you have people in the, in the operating room and in the recovery unit. And you have people in step-down units and ICU and a regular room. And some people have actually been healed enough that they can help other people. But the bottom line for everyone is, at some point, everybody needs the great physician. 
That's what a hospital is. And I have never yet, and I worked in a hospital emergency room for three years while I was going to seminary. And I, have, I never heard during that time anybody, any of the doctors or nurses or anyone say, I'm getting so sick and tired of all the people we see are sick people. Only people that ever come here are people that are hurt. How about some healthy people coming in here every so often? That would be nice. I, I didn't hear anybody say that. Sometimes we got a little bit overwhelmed by the number of people that came in. But I never heard anyone say, why don't we ever see some healthy people here? Because everyone understood that we existed for people who were hurt and sick and needed help. And in the church, what would make us say... We ought to just be all healthy people. I wish we'd get some healthy people here. I, I'm getting tired of, of people who are broken and hurting and struggling as if we're not. Because all of us are. All of us are. St. Augustine said that when you pray the Lord's Prayer and you say, give us this day our daily bread, what you're really saying is, we are God's beggars. We are simply beggars who are asking God to give us a little bit of bread. And I'm not sure we always see that. Because we have come to believe we're pretty good at making our own bread. But what we make isn't bread, it isn't nourishing, it's nothing. Only God gives us the nourishment that we need. And only as we acknowledge our brokenness will we get what God wants to give us? And the church struggles with that. I get that. Tim Tennant, who's the president of Asbury Seminary, wrote a blog recently. He talked about going to church when you feel despairing. And he talked about praying through Psalm 142, which is a psalm of lament and, and pain. And the author is talking about the struggle of his, his heart and the pain that he experienced. And at, at one point he cries out, I, I couldn't find a place of refuge. And, and Tennant says that, he remembered so some translations use the word sanctuary. I couldn't find a sanctuary. And he said, I remembered that for centuries... The, the place where God's people come together to worship has been called a sanctuary. That's what we call this room in which we gather. And, it, and in many periods of time, it really was exactly that. It was a place of literal refuge. And if you were on the run from people, you could come into a church and you would be safe. It was a place of sanctuary, a place of refuge, a place of safety. And he said, but we don't like to use that term much anymore. The new buildings that we create, the new places where we come for worship, we call them worship centers or celebration centers. And there's this implication in coming together. And, it, and it's reinforced by the music we sing and the things that we say that when you come here, it's all about putting on a happy face. And, and, and the way we design worship, it's all about just, just being happy. And there is no room really in a lot of places, in a lot of churches for being real. And coming and saying, I'm struggling. I, I'm, I'm burdened. I, I can't do this. I need help. And the church gives the impression that we're not really about that. 
even though the design of God for the church was to be that. And there is a place for being joyous in worship. I mean, as he says, Psalm 150 is a, is a part of the, the Psalms as well. And it's all about celebration and praising God and all the wonderful things that God has done. But at some point, there has to be a place of honesty and transparency and openness and a place to be real. And we believe that that's what God is calling us to be. As counter-cultural and counterintuitive as that may be. And I've been asking myself, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a church that, that acknowledges our personal and corporate brokenness? And I don't know exactly, we're trying to figure that out, but I do know that it involves a, a, a spirit of honesty and transparency and openness with each other. It has to involve humility. It, it ties into much of what we were talking about last week of the spirit of openness and affirming all people and loving all people and deciding that we're going to be about loving rather than winning. We're going to be about people, we're people who have compassion rather than people who our first response is to judge. And there are right and wrong venues for expressing openness and transparency. And, you know, in the larger gatherings of the church, it's probably not the the most appropriate place, place to do that in one sense. And yet at the same time, we want to create an atmosphere where we can come and we can have some silence. We have some time to reflect and we can, we can pray in ways that, that we are able to express some, the agony that might be in our hearts and our souls as we come together in worship. It's a place where however we come, it's good and we're welcome and we can be honest. But I do think that one of the, the places where we can connect most with this sense of transparency is in small groups, Sunday school classes, Bible study groups, some of the Sunday night or weekly groups that meet where we have an opportunity to get to know people and trust each other. And in that environment of trust, we can become more and more transparent and open. And as we do that individually, we begin to create a, a groundswell of transparency as a church. So that people look at us from the outside and say, you know what, that's a church that isn't afraid to say we don't have all the answers. That's a church that, that isn't afraid to say we, we've got struggles and we're trying to deal with them. And there is a spirit of, of honesty and trust in that gathering of Christians and of people who are seeking that I'd like to be a part of because I'm struggling and I'm seeking. And we welcome that. And the point is not to leave us there. The point is not that we come, we acknowledge our brokenness and then we just stay broken. But it is to acknowledge our brokenness so that God can do something with us. It's the same principle of going to the hospital You can sit at home and be sick and deny the fact that you have a sickness and that you need any help. You won't get any better. You can sit at home and say, I'm sick. I'm having a struggle. I I, I need help and not do anything about it. Only when you walk, go to the hospital, walk in the doors and you do something about it, that then something can happen. 
And I, I guess it's sort of like becoming a 12-step church. You know, where the first thing we say to people is, hi, we're holding Wesleyan Church and we're broken. We don't stay there. That's just the first step to moving us to healing. But all the while we recognize that every step along the way, all along the journey in the path, we continue to struggle. We continue to be broken people. And any progress we make is because we've acknowledged that and Christ has done a work in us individually and corporately. And the point is not that that we acknowledge we're broken. It's not just that, but it's acknowledge we're broken because we believe Christ is the one who can fix us. That Christ alone has the answer to our pain and our struggles. But the way to get into that, the way to be open to that and to let him do what he needs to do in us is to take that first step and subsequent steps of acknowledging our need instead of wearing masks, instead of acting as though we don't have struggles, instead of living with that mindset of don't let anybody see you sweat. Years ago, I read an article by Chuck Swindoll where he talked about meeting a friend of his from the Marine Corps who he said would have been the last guy on earth he would have ever expected to become a Christian. And yet here this guy was telling him about his conversion experience and how he had opened his heart to Christ and what a great change God, Christ was making in his life. And he said to him, he said, Chuck, the one thing I miss is the camaraderie of the neighborhood bar where I used to go. So we, we'd get, get together with my friends and, and we'd sit down and we'd just let our hair down and we'd be honest with each other and we would be honest about our faults. And it was such a great place of just being transparent. He said, I haven't been able to find that in the church. I haven't been able to, to feel comfortable sharing that in the church because all I've gotten back so far are frowns and judgment and people quoting scripture to me instead of just letting me be real. Everybody wants to just patch me up in a moment. Nobody wants to hear the struggles of my life. And I'm wrestling with that. And Swindoll says, I read an article about a month after that that said the neighborhood bar is the most profound counterfeit for the church that exists in our world. It said most people don't hang out at the neighborhood bar, sort of the cheers kind of idea. Most people don't hang out at the neighborhood bar because they're alcoholics, but because God has put into our hearts a desire to love and to be loved and to want relationship, genuine, real, transparent relationships with people. And we will go wherever we have to go to f- try to find that. And that's why Christ designed the church to be that place. But we've gotten messed up and we've created this facade and we've created this atmosphere that makes us think we really can't be transparent. And through the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to begin changing that. You look at this tree over here that it was in the prayer room with all the leaves on it as people came to pray and wrote their names here. And if you were in the prayer room, you may have noticed that if you bump the tree, some of the leaves fall out pretty easily. And there were a number of times I was putting my leaf in and I knocked out five or six of them in the process of that. 
And as we were putting this up, someone said to me, they said, I, I've got, we've helped, we got things set up over there with the tree, but you might want to check it tomorrow, Sunday morning, because the leaves are a little precarious and they have a tendency to fall out. And then they added, maybe not a bad metaphor for the church. And I think that's true. Because the reality is, we want the church to look like that, just beautiful and full. But the truth is, there's a lot of leaves that fall down and we get bumped And what do we do about it? Do we sit and look at the leaves and go, I can't believe you've fallen out of there. What is wrong with you? Or do we realize that could be any one of us and we help each other get back? And we create an atmosphere where falling out isn't a tragedy. It's a way to encourage each other to come together and to be the people that God created us to be. E. Stanley Jones was a great Methodist missionary back in the earlier part of the 20th century and great missionary statesman. Someone said the, the most beautiful story that E. Stanley Jones ever told was about a little girl who took her broken doll to church. This little girl was home playing with her doll and in the process of playing, the doll was broken and the first thing she thought of to do was to take it to the church. Because in her young mind, that's what you do with stuff that's broken. Wow. That's what we want to develop personally and corporately to be a place where the first thing we think about when we feel a sense of brokenness and pain is we run to the church. And we find in the church welcoming arms and open arms and encouragement. Not so we stay there, but through that, we find the grace of God upon us to bring healing and mercy and transformation. Let's take a moment of silence to pray together. Asking God to speak to us about what role we might play, what we might do to help create an atmosphere in the church where we acknowledge our brokenness. Father, you know our struggle to be real with each other, to be honest, to be transparent and open. And you know our tendency to put up walls and facades and wear masks. And, you know, we we do it to protect ourselves. And yet you're calling us to be more than that. You're calling us to, to a life, a journey together of openness. Give us courage to to be a part of that journey. And give us courage as a church to respond with compassion 
and grace to each other as you have responded to us and continue to do so. Make us this kind of church. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We don't often pray prayers of confession in this service, but I I felt it was appropriate to do so this morning as a response to the sermon. And so I want to invite you to take your bulletins and we're going to pray together this prayer of confession that's printed there. Let's stand as we pray together. We confess to you, Lord, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit, even to ourselves, what lies in the depths of our souls. We do not, however, want to hide our true selves from you. We believe that you know us as we are, and yet you still love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to love ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt and fear and take us into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask that you would break our bondage and set us free. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you
make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.